0: Jesus is real. There's power in Your name. We find hope when we trust in Your ways. We need in Jesus is
1: real. Before David could lead God's people, God needed to give him His own heart. See, David needed to go tend to the sheep so that he could get God's heart, so he can lead God's people in God's way. Now, I think there's an important application for you and I because oftentimes we want the position like the kingship, but we don't want to take the time to let God shape us so that we can fulfill the position in the way that God would have us do.
0: The shepherd knows his sheep and they know him. It's an unbreakable bond, so it's important to choose the right shepherd. Our culture tends to latch on to celebrity figures to the degree of worship. Some of us have latched on to a particular teacher or pastor, but there's only one shepherd that's the right one, and it's Jesus. Today, Pastor Daniel teaches about this relationship and the vitality that comes with a bond of love and sacrifice. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message, Song of the Shepherd.
1: It seems like every year there's one of those surveys that come out where the these are the greatest songs of all times. How many of us, even if you don't really like the song, you know them so well because they're always there. Songs like uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> I just say, you guys start laughing. It's, uh, Mamma Mia, let me go. You know, it's crazy songs. And, you know, and then you have songs like uh, Stairway to Heaven. How many of you got blisters on your guitar playing fingers trying to learn that one, right? It's like, you just get a guitar, you're like, how does that one go, you know? And, and I actually saw a, a more recent list, and they put on uh, Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit as one of the best songs of all time. I'm not so sure about that one. I mean, was the music of my youth, but I'm not so sure. But we're doing this series called Songs of Summer. And we're looking at the different biblical songs, and the psalm that we're going to do today, the song that we're going to do today, if you did a survey of the most popular, well-known songs in the Bible, today's is definitely probably in the top three, isn't it? So open your Bible to Psalm 23, Psalm number 23. There's a reason why Psalm 23 is so popular. There's a reason. It's, It's popular for good reason. Why? Because... Psalm 23 is real life. All the different pictures and ideas in Psalm 23 exist to where you and I live every day. And I think the reason it's so popular is it doesn't just look at life from the human vantage point, but actually looks at life from the perspective of God and who God is and what God does. And so Psalm 23 speaks profoundly to you and I because when you read it and when you study it you're like that's the way I want my life to be given the circumstances I find myself in and so it's it's really real and what my hope is today because because Psalm 23 is so well known it's I mean many of us can recite almost all of it from memory not even having tried memorizing it is that isn't it true that the things that you're the most used to are the easiest to take for granted, right? You're so used to them that you actually don't even pay them any money. I think that happens oftentimes in marriage, doesn't it? Or with close friends. You're so used to that person that you forget so easily how extraordinary they are. But you see them every day. You're you're used to them. And I think from a biblical perspective, Psalm 23 is that kind of a text that we've heard it so many times, we've maybe pondered it here and there, that we miss out on how extraordinary these verses are. So it's funny, as we were mapping this series out, you know, I wrote down Psalm 23, and then I thought to myself, you know, and it was great, because I mapped out the whole, I outlined the whole message, and it was all with Ps, everything's a P, and for those of you who are here often, you always know I always make fun of that when I do that, because it's such like a... It's like a little preacher quirky thing, you know. i got this nice little outline for you. But after I outlined the whole thing, and I outlined it really quickly, I thought to myself, there's absolutely no way I'm the only pastor who's come up with this outline. So sure enough, I did a Google search, and I realized that my outline was discovered by like 100,000 other pastors before me. So I put that out there because I don't want you to think I was going on like sermon.com to get my outline. But it's funny, after I go, I'm like... I was real. I'm like, this is a great outline. I'm like, wait, this is too good. I definitely couldn't have come up with this on my own. And so sure enough, so if you do a Google search, you'll find about 100 versions of the same message. But even though the outline, I feel that I, I stole it from somebody, which I didn't, but I did, it doesn't make what I'm going to say any less true. It's just, it's one of those songs that just breaks open beautifully, like a spring flower. But this is what I want you to do. Sometimes at church, I think us as pastors can make the mistake of just filling your brain with Bible information. It's kind of like we have the word of God and we divorce ourselves from God's story in the world. And really God has given us his word, not so that we can pass like a Bible literacy exam, but God has given us his words so that you and I would learn how to find ourselves in God's story today. See, God wants us to be a part of the, the story he's writing today. And so as we look at this very common, well-known psalm, I want you to say, Lord, I want to find myself in this psalm. Lord, I want to be a part of this and what you're doing in this generation. Lord, I want your word to be alive in me and in my life. Can we do that? Just even right now, in the quietness of your heart, just say, Lord, I want to be a part of your story in 2014. And whenever you read the Bible, don't divorce what you're reading from the life that you're living. Because if it's just knowledge, you know, it's the Apostle Paul said that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And you know what's interesting? Biblical knowledge puffs up too. Because you can fill your brain with information, and your heart isn't engaged, So we don't want to just be proud of biblical information, but we want to say, God, I want to find all of this truth, and I want to be find myself as a part of that story, the story that if the Lord was writing sacred scripture today, we'd find your name and my name in there, just the way God was writing sacred scripture 2,000 years ago, and we find people like David and Moses and Peter, James, and John, and Dorcas, and all these different people. So let's read it. Psalm 23. It's a Psalm of David. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I want you to notice that this is a psalm of David. Now, this is going to be important because it's a psalm of David, and then the very first few words is, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, if you notice in your Bibles, it's Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That is God's personal name. Some would say that it was Jehovah. Some would say that it's Yahweh, that it's four letters in the Hebrew, right? And it really relates us to when God called Moses at the burning bush. Do you remember when Moses was like, well, listen, when I go to the children of Israel and and they say, well, who sent you? Well, should I tell them your name is? He said, the I am who I am. So when you think of Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It really speaks of God's personal name, the God who created everything and made a covenant with people. This Lord is my shepherd. Now, what's interesting, the reason I want to bring this up is because David is writing this psalm that says, Yahweh is my shepherd. But you guys know the story about David. David was a shepherd, wasn't he? So think about it. Remember back in 1 Samuel, Samuel was a prophet of the Lord and Saul was the king. And Saul was chosen because he was handsome and gifted. But Saul was, you know, he was a knucklehead like all of us. And God decided he needed a new king. So he told Samuel, listen, I want you to go to Bethlehem. And I want you to go to the house of Jesse. And I'm going to anoint one of Jesse's sons to be king. You remember the story? And remember, Samuel shows up and, and Jesse's like, oh, the, the prophet Samuel's here. And he says, I want to see your sons because one of your sons is going to be the next king of Israel. Right? And, and his first son, Jesse's first son, shows up and he's tall and he's handsome. And Samuel thinks to himself, oh, yeah, this guy is king material. If it was the New Daniel translation, he'd be like, that dude's a stud. That's what he's saying. He's like, this, this guy's got it going on. He's definitely the king. And the Lord speaks to Samuel and says, Samuel... You're looking at the outside, I'm looking at the heart. How many of us do that, right? We view everything through natural eyes, based on natural giftings, and God is like, no, 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 you're looking at this thing all wrong. But he wasn't the guy, and then all the sons, none of them were the guy. And you can imagine Samuel at this point, he's a prophet, of the Lord. he's thinking, Lord, did I, did I mess that up? I mean, not one of these is the guy. And then he says to, to Jesse, are these all your sons? And Jesse's like, well, no. I got my, my youngest son, David. I mean, think about it. Jesse didn't even call David in. Get all your sons. He's like, we'll leave David out there. Because David's a young whippersnapper. He's out shepherding the sheep. Now, you can imagine this. All of a sudden, Sam was like, well, I want you to get David and bring him here. And you can imagine David coming and, you know, Jesse's wife, David's mom, meets him outside and be like, Hey, mom, what's going on? He's like, oh, listen, you got to get it together, man. The prophet Samuel's in there, and you might be king of Israel. And she's like, spit-shining, David? You need to get it together, son, you know? Isn't that one of the grossest, most fun parts of parenting? Like, whoever thought that spit-shining your kids was, like, a good thing? See, this is why I give my kids ice cream. I get my own ice cream, and I get the leftovers from my kids' faces. I mean, whoever invented spit-shining your kids? Can you imagine David like, Mom, will you stop? Your spit is not helping. Anyway, David goes on in, and he's just the shepherd boy. He's the shepherd boy, and the Lord's like, this is my guy. And he gets anointed king. But does David become king that instant? No. What happens? He goes back to being the shepherd boy. He just got anointed by Samuel. He's the next king of Israel. But what is he? He's a shepherd. Now, David is writing the Psalm. He's saying, I'm a shepherd. And then he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Why? Before David could lead God's people, God needed to give him his own heart. See, David needed to go tend to the sheep. So that he could get God's heart, so he can lead God's people in God's way. Now, I think there's an important application for you and I. Because oftentimes, we want the position like the kingship, but we don't want to take the time to let God shape us so that we can fulfill the position in the way that God would have us do. See, before David could be a shepherd, he needed to get God's heart as a shepherd. And so when David said, the Lord is my shepherd, David has history with shepherding. He shepherded sheep. I mean, we find out in one place that David protected the sheep from a lion and from a bear. That would have been a fun YouTube clip, wouldn't it? King David roughing up a bear, protecting sheep from a lion. But oftentimes God needs to prepare our hearts before he gives us the position. So it's fascinating that David says, the Lord is my shepherd because he had a lot of history as a shepherd. Now I want you to notice this verse. Remember I told you all of these have a P associated with it. We talked about the Lord. We talked about shepherding, but notice the Lord is my shepherd. See, the shepherd is personal. It's personal. It doesn't say the Lord is the shepherd. The Lord is what? My shepherd. And in the Hebrew, the word, the my, that pronoun is at the front of the sentence, which has a place of exaggeration or emphasis. The shepherd is personal. It's not enough for you to say, yes, Jesus is the shepherd. He needs to be your shepherd. You need to be able to say, he is my shepherd. And isn't this what Jesus said in John chapter 10? In verse 11, it says, I am the good shepherd, The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Or in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and am known by my own. See, Jesus is saying, I'm the good shepherd and he wants to be your shepherd. Why? Because he lays down his life for the sheep. It's not just a J-O-B for Jesus. He's saying, I can shepherd your life because I am willing to die for your betterment. And he's saying, I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. Now, if you're here today and you put your faith and trust in Jesus, then you know him personally as your shepherd. But I also believe there's a number of people here today in our sanctuary, maybe you're watching online at our new and improved internet campus, where you're not like, yeah, Jesus is my shepherd. I remember before I came to know Jesus, I would say, I had heard this at a, at a funeral. I'm like, I ain't no sheep. I don't need a shepherd. I'm here to tell you this. Everybody follows something or someone. Don't think for one second that you are not following something or someone. We are all created to follow things. And you say, well, no, I'm my own person. No, you're following the whims of a culture. Would you rather let Jesus be your shepherd? Or maybe you want Miley Cyrus to be your shepherd. Now now listen, if you don't know who Miley Cyrus is, listen, you got to pray for Miley. But you realize it's like, I really think with her it's all an act. Because you know what, we watch all these stars, they realize it is the crazier they they seem, the more money they make. Because American culture is a sheep that way. Just following the trends. I mean, Charlie Sheen did it before she did and someone will do it after. Someone just goes off the rails and we're all like watching and just cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. Now I digress, I'm way off the rails here, but everybody's got a shepherd. You are following something or someone, and it might as well be Jesus. And when I show you all the reasons why it should be Jesus, all these different things in the psalm, you're going to say to yourself, why would I want to follow anything else? Why would I want to follow anyone else? Because nobody or no system other than Jesus himself will get you all the benefits that we find in Psalm 23. Note the beauty, though, also, of Jesus being your shepherd, because as your shepherd, Jesus changes each one of us. He changes each one of us. All of us are in process. You know, I ended my time away at a conference, 1,400 pastors. It was a Calvary Chapel conference, and they invited me to be part of a panel discussion. And there was a question about Christians and social media and pastors and social media and and they said, well, Daniel, what do you think? I'm like, well, I got three words for you. Don't be grumpy. And they started laughing. So I, but listen, how many of us are grumpy? Don't raise your hands. I suck up my hands. I'm like, don't, don't do that. You know what the problem with being grumpy is? Nobody is ever attracted to the God of a grumpy person. See, now somebody after first service says, well, what do you mean by grumpy? So here, here's some synonyms of being grumpy. This is fun. Bad-tempered, crabby, ill-tempered, short-tempered, crotchety. <laughs> I like that word. Prickly, touchy, irritable, crusty, <laughs> cantankerous, curmudgeonly, bearish, surely ill-natured, ill-humored, petty, cross, disagreeable, snappish, See, if what we're going to read about Jesus being the good shepherd is true, he loves you too much to let you be grumpy. See, the problem with, you know what the problem with grumpiness is? And listen, we're we're human, right? So I know that we're all kind of grumpy, especially in the morning before breakfast, right? But like, grumpiness is like a disease. And if you're grumpy, you ever realize when someone is grumpy around you, you get grumpy too, So you're in a great mood, all of a sudden, it's like, yeah, I just can't believe that. I mean, I was watching the news. And before you know it, you're like, man, life stinks, man. You just meet somebody because grumpiness wears off. And it's hard if you're not grumpy to try and stave off the avalanche of cantankerousness. So I'm starting a new ministry called DBG. Don't be grumpy. Because God doesn't want his... When when was the last time it said that? The grumpiness of the Lord is my strength. The fruit of the Spirit is curmudgeonness. God loves his kids cranky. Not. But see, if you're here today... And the reason I bring up grumpiness is I think we live in a grumpy culture. I think we are bombarded with reasons to be grumpy. But the thing is, is that if the Lord is your shepherd, why what do you have to be grumpy about? Now, I'm not saying you have to agree with everything. Being grumpy is not that you are naive. It's just that you hold your disagreements with grace, with joy, with a trust in God. I mean, if everything we're going to read, all these different pieces, yeah, it starts as personal. When all these things come down, and if he's your shepherd, then why are you grumpy? We are totally blessed if he's your shepherd if the true and living God is leading your life it's not always going to be easy but we really have no reason to be crusty ill-tempered malicious all these things so it begins with it being personal the shepherd is personal. He's my shepherd. And he needs to be your shepherd. And if you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, by the end of the service, I'm going to give you an opportunity to say, Jesus is my shepherd. And all these things that are going to flow from this are all going to be a part of your life. So look at what happens next. It starts with it being personal. And then in the middle of verse 1, it says, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, I like this because if you notice, the Lord is my shepherd and then it says, I will not want. Why? And then notice, he makes, he leads, he restores, he leads for his name's sake. See, this isn't a psalm about the sheep. This is a psalm about the shepherd. And we will be grumpy if we keep God at an arm's distance and we make it impersonal, and we will be grumpy if it's all about us. But when we dethrone ourselves in our hearts and we let Jesus be on the throne, all of a sudden, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, I don't know about you, that second line there, that's a nasty line. If the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Some of your translations said, be in want. You realize that we live in a world that is relentless in its pursuit of its wants. What do you want today? What is the thing that you're like, I will be happy when I get this thing? See, when I read this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, how many of us can truly say that that's true for our life?
0: Jesus is...
2: Webster's Dictionary defines friction as the resistance that one surface or object encounters when moving over another. We experience friction all around us, from the people at work to the people who won't leave the left lane when you're in traffic. Irritation and friction affect us every day. But probably the most significant area where we face friction these days is when our modern culture collides with our faith. They just don't play nice sometimes. I recently shared a series called Friction with our family of faith at Crossroads Community Church, and I would love to share it with you as well. This series has revolutionized our thinking about how we, the body of Christ, are to exist and engage the culture around us for the cause of Christ. It comes straight out of the book of Daniel. This month, we've created a special mini-series from the
0: Friction series
2: just for you, the Jesus is Real radio listener. Here's Josh with the info you need to get yourself a copy.
0: Thanks, Pastor Daniel. Anyone who supports Jesus is Real Radio through the month of May with a gift of $25 or more will receive a special three-part mini-series that was taken from the Friction series that Pastor Daniel just mentioned. To receive your three CD set from the Friction series, simply visit JesusIsRealRadio.com and select Partner from the main menu. There you'll have the opportunity to give a one-time gift or support Jesus is Real Radio on a monthly basis. Please remember, every bit of support you provide helps us continue and expand what God is doing through Jesus is Real Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Until next time, may God bless.